Welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. We're joined by Stephanie Sheehan, who's the VP of Engineering at Kielvar. How are you today, Stephanie? I'm good, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm delighted to. And uh, today we're going to talk about procurement, logistics, and how technology can help solve the supply chain crunch. But before we get into that side of things, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, Stephanie, and what made you pursue a career in technology. So, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this one. (laughs) What did make me pursue that career? I think actually looking back on it now, uh, I was a pretty shy girl who (laughs) was kind of lost in my head a lot of the time. And I was really attracted to the idea of coding because it's a great mental challenge. And then also I got the added bonus of hiding behind a computer and getting lost in my mind and kind of creating something. So I think that's kind of what initially attracted me to it. Um, I did computer science in Cork Institute of Technology, which is I think now Munster Technology University. And I just loved it from the start. I, I just loved it. I just took to it like a duck to water. And um, yeah, and I kind of ever since, it's been just a bit of a journey of learning and discovery and uh, trial and error. And um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed my career in it. Uh, Stephanie, could we speak about Kielvar, uh, what the company does and, and your role in that mission? Sure, yeah. Kilvar provides software to the procurement departments in large enterprises. We focus in sourcing element of procurement. Kilvar's got two core products. So we've got a, an optimizer and we've got an automation product. So typically kind of in procurement, large enterprises will run big buying events. They might run them every maybe six months or so. And they could be buying anything from, you know, leather for tomatoes to uniforms to anything. So they run these large events and our optimizer platform essentially takes that data, turns it into a buying event, invites suppliers to the buying event, and then essentially optimizes that buying event. Um, So that I guess our customers are understanding who are the most competitive suppliers and they can optimize the event for anything like spend or time, whatever business criteria they have. Um, And then we've got automation. So during the pandemic, we launched two AI automation bots and they essentially automate the process of the sourcing of ocean freight and the sourcing of air freight. One of the big problems for companies during pandemic was obviously the disruption to supply chain. It hit logistics most severely. Um, So obviously all airplanes were grounded, ships weren't moving, a lot of crews were sick and so on. They just couldn't get goods to move from A to B. And so these companies had gone from running events every six months to a year to now having to source ocean and air freight pretty much every day. Huge, huge effort on their hands and they really didn't have the technologies to actually help them. And so we built two AI automation bots that essentially automated that process what was taking them weeks and weeks of effort to create a large buying event and took that down to minutes, essentially. The bots are doing all of the work and they're going out to market to source their ocean and air freight. So that's our second offering. That's the one that we're kind of expanding at the moment. And in relation to both, could you speak a little bit about some of the technology challenges underpinning those products and how you go about solving them? Yeah, so we've got a, again, <laughs> where to start? Um, we've got a few things we're grappling with at the moment. On our optimizer platform, one of the main challenges there is performance. So we've got quite, I suppose, heavy load in terms of running those large buying events. You could have maybe, you know, 3,000 suppliers. And so then we've got our optimizer algorithms, which are essentially turning the criteria and the business criteria by which to optimize the event into a mathematical equation and evaluating that equation multiple times during the bidding process to understand who's the winner of the bid. 
So that's a heavy load on our systems, essentially managing that performance. We run on AWS and so we have, I guess, a lot of work just to monitor our databases. And so that's kind of a challenge for us. And then we've got, I guess, you know, our typical scaling challenges for a company like ours. We're moving from a monolith right now um, to more services oriented architecture. When we launched our two bots onto the market, they were very successful, which was great. And for us, some of that was just testing the market to see if there was an appetite for it, which there was. But now our biggest challenge is in scaling that out. So obviously, you know, we've now kind of generated quite a lot of interest in the market from these bots. They're new and they're quite disruptive. And so we're seeing a lot of demand for those across multiple different categories. So not just logistics, but across multiple different industries and categories. So one of our biggest challenges right now is building, I guess, a scalable automation framework by which we can build out these bots to meet the needs of the customers. And doing that in a quite a quick time frame um, is, is a big challenge for us. And that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. I guess other than that, our, our big challenge is around data, creating a, a data platform to work from so that we can start to build out those more intelligent features. So yeah, so we've got, <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> we've got a few challenges. You've got a lot in your plate. And do you think there's anything that can be done in terms of encouraging more women to participate in computer science? Because I was speaking with a, a friend of mine last week and he was just talking about when he went through uh, computer science, it was like 6% female participation in the course. Like there's a, there's a sense in general in the, in the tech sector that more needs to be done. What could be done in that regard to make it maybe more encouraging, more welcoming? Yeah, it's one of those things. Actually, when I was doing my course, we had about 50% um, male-female kind of ratio. And then what happened at the end of it was the majority of the female participants in the course left coding and went into other areas of, of software development, but didn't stay coding, which is interesting. I, I think software has changed an awful lot in the last few years, and it's much more appealing for kind of female tendencies. As women, we like to create relationships, we like to talk, we like to collaborate. We like to come together and, and I think now software development is much more orientated to that kind of um, skill set and I think that's something that we probably need to talk about more and how important that skill set is. In the past the technical virtues were really pushed and girls often underplay I guess their technical skills or don't believe in themselves enough in that area and so they kind of rule themselves out early. But I think maybe even talking about how software is built today and how much it relies on relationship building and collaboration, coming together and ideation, brainstorming, all of that would encourage more girls and more female participants. Yeah, I think it's super important. I remember a few years ago um, in our own company, we had a software team and it was all guys. And it was that yeah. for about a year and a half. And then there was a female QA joined the team and like the difference in just behavior, attitude, and morale in the team. It went from being like a football team changing room kind of vibe to just something a lot more civilized <laughs> quickly. And like that in and of itself, I remember it finding it very impactful to observe it and see like, that's why you want some form of like, it doesn't need to be a 50-50 split, but a little bit of balance and like can bring uh, a lot of value and can bring a lot of improvement. And the happiness of the guys in that team was much better when that change happens. So I think it is really critical for companies to make some progress in that regard. Yeah, I've seen similar situations to the ones you're describing, but I think it's hard for companies to make the change. I think it has to happen a little earlier in colleges and even in schools, because by the time the companies to come to the table to hire, the females aren't there. What companies need to do is to go to universities, go into the schools and start to talk about this as a career path for, for women and encouraging that. 
Do you think women who work in the software sector kind of will have a natural bit for management and leadership roles within the sector? Because a lot of women that I know in the tech sector very quickly move into a role where they're responsible for a team, where they're managing, where they really bring everyone together. And the point you made about women love to kind of build relationships and collaborate. Do you see that in your own career? Yeah, I'm seeing it a lot, actually. Uh, even during the week, I was on a call with my own team with engineering and product management. And I noticed that all of the participants from the engineering side were women. It was all the leaders in engineering. So myself, my engineering manager, Gwen, and the team lead, Alia. And then on the product management side, uh, it was all male. But actually, we don't have enough females in our engineering department. It just so happened that a lot of leaders that are emerging are female. And I wonder if it is actually that natural ability to coordinate, to bring people together because, you know, engineering teams now, they're multidisciplinary, they're cross-functional. So, you know, people from all different kind of mindsets coming together, creative and logical brain people. And so it takes quite a skill set to bring all of that together, to coordinate it, to manage the dynamics um, and to kind of create a safe environment for everybody where everybody can collaborate. So I think women are very strong in that area. Obviously, we also have male team leads who are also excellent in that area too, but I think it is a a path for women where they can do really well. Uh, Stephanie, what are some of the people challenges that, you know, you encounter and anyone will encounter in terms of a, a growing startup company, one that's expanding? I guess there's potentially a lot to grapple with and what would be some of the things that you come across? Yeah, I think, you know, anyone in tech right now knows that attracting talent is is one of the most difficult things. We're seeing just a boom in in the industry and obviously a shift as well for people, you know, away from office-based work to remote work. And then you've got the, you know, the big resignation going on where people are reevaluating what's important to them and how they want to work and where they want to work. So that definitely seems to be affecting companies' ability to attract talent. So that's at the moment. But other than that, biggest problem (laughs) most difficult thing with people is that we're all human beings uh, and so we all come with our individual sets of you know ambitions and egos and vulnerabilities and drivers so one of the biggest challenges is creating a safe environment for everybody to come together and you know collaborate and do the work that they love that they're feeling fulfilled and, and recognized and that's I guess for Kilvar especially we really believe in the individual uh, and making it a safe space for the individual really kind of taking the time to allow people to use their voice, to create an environment that works for them. So I think, yeah, definitely as a leader, you know, it's a challenge for me because in order to make that happen for my team, I have to put, you know, my own biases or, you know, ego to the side and, you know, listen more and, you know, take in what people are saying and, and, and allow the team to kind of evolve and, and, and find their own path. And so that's always, always kind of a tricky one. That's very interesting that you say that because I was in a, a team meeting yesterday and we do a thing on, on Tuesday mornings where we take turns just doing kind of a show and tell. So someone will do a, a quick presentation on anything they want. And, uh, and it's interesting. It's fun. It's kind of a nice way to bring people together in this kind of post-pandemic world. And a person presenting, the topic she brought was, was effective leadership. And she had these kind of traits of good leaders and what they do. And someone asked me like, okay, of all these traits, what's the most important? And it was actually uh, listening as a skill or as a trait um, is quite rare. Um, very few people listen properly. And I think if you can cultivate it as a skill, if you do actually give people the sense that you're genuinely listening to what they have to say, you build so much trust 
and you can establish such a strong relationship with people, be that a, a customer, a, a colleague, a, a manager, whoever it might be. You know, if I was to encourage anyone to cultivate any skill, being a good orator is great, being a good negotiator is great, but if you can actually listen, uh, people will love you genuinely, yeah. <laughs> they'll work with you, they'll support you. It's a very, very underrated skill, and it's very interesting that you mentioned that one specifically. Stephanie, I'd love to ask you a bit as well about um, whether your management style had to adapt somehow in the, in the pandemic era and now in a world where folks aren't coming to offices with the regularity that they used to a few years ago. Yeah, it's very hard. You're hiring and, you know, you've probably never met your colleagues face to face and you have never had the chance to create that kind of emotional bond that you normally would and have to adapt a little bit in terms of trying to find other ways to make a connection. Even again, you know, listening, asking questions, trying to find out what do you like? What's interesting for you? And it it is actually amazing when you start to ask questions, what actually emerges. We've obviously started kind of different channels then based on our interests got a complete fascination at the moment all things wordle and we've got a, a very active wordle challenge going on in kilvar i've had to certainly put way more focus on asking questions asking personal questions sharing personal stories from me about how i'm feeling and how, what, what's going on for me and starting to try to find common ground because i'm completely missing the opportunity to create that bond i think it's an additional investment in our personal relationships is what i found has been necessary so yeah i don't know I don't know if we figured it out or if I figured it out. It's evolving. Um, Stephanie, you've had the experience of moving from individual contributor to management and leadership roles. Uh, what's the advice you'd give to folks who are making a similar transition? Um, I guess probably the biggest thing is do it for the right reasons. You know, before there was probably just one way to kind of increase your salary and that was to move into the management track. That's no longer the case now. The technical track is as as strong as the management track. So definitely do it for the right reasons. You know, it's not, it's no less challenging than the technical track. That's another thing. It's quite a challenge because you have to change your mindset. You have a new set of skills to learn. You know, a new role in the team. One of the things that I found really difficult was, I guess, the losing some of my technical skills. You go from being quite proficient and quite good at your own technical skill set, and you lose that a little bit. And I guess the challenge then is to let that go and to start to recognize that others in the team are more technical than you and to not try to compete with that, but to try and enhance that actually and to, to help them to become more autonomous, more advanced in their own area and to kind of see your own role slightly differently and I guess it goes back to the point that you made earlier about listening one of the things I think in technology and in software we build our egos around our knowledge and you know we kind of build our words around that and so your natural tendency is to offer your knowledge in a meeting or in a team setting so you want to prove in some ways that you you're worthy and you have enough knowledge to be at the table and so you kind of have to lead that goal uh, and become the listener and become the servant in the team and your job really is to enhance them and bring them on so I think back to the original question my biggest piece of advice you know just for the right reasons I, I love that you use the the term servant you know I, I think the idea of servant leadership is so powerful like I suppose I've observed uh, in my career and in other organizations I worked in people craving a more senior role for the power rather than for the responsibility, people going after it for the wrong reasons. And 
if you're not prepared to take the good with the bad of management, you'll end up deeply unhappy because there's, there's kind of two sides to it. And you have to be willing to shoulder the responsibility to go along with the power you take uh, when you do take on one of these positions. So it's super interesting. I think in response to that question, um, because I was asked it yesterday, actually, and the advice I gave was that you actually have to be prepared for some unfairness because people are going to make stuff your fault when it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're going to be blamed for things that you shouldn't be blamed for. And that's, that's okay. That's just kind of how it is. And that goes with the territory of, of leadership. And it goes with the territory of probably uh, we're of the first generations that had completely unrealistic expectations of life. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but kind of growing up watching Disney movies and, you know, there's almost an expectation. I, I suffered from this too. You expect a kind of a godlike infallibility from your managers and leaders. And when they make mistakes, I remember judging people extremely harshly <laughs> and then finding myself later on in life in management and leadership roles and realizing it's way harder than it looks. And yeah. I should have been far more forgiving of what I saw as mistakes or, or bad management earlier in my career. So I suppose uh, another good thing that goes with management is you become very empathetic for other managers and you realize that it is far more complex to keep a group of people who have maybe competing priorities and egos and desires and, and all sorts to, keep, to regulate the politics within something like that is, is not an easy enterprise. Yeah, great. And it's difficult for a leader. You know, you almost have to seek out the blame and take it on willingly to create a safe environment for the team. Um, obviously, the no blame culture is a huge thing in tech, but somebody's got to shoulder that. Uh, and so being able to do that in a humble way is a real skill set. And it's hard. Is there, is there any advice you'd give to your younger self now that you know what you know and the experience that you have under your belt? Um, yeah, I think. Maybe that, you know, just nobody's got this figured out. (laughs) Um, You know, I think when I was younger, I sort of sat back and just assumed that the managers had this and, you know, what they said was fact. And I didn't really question it. You know, I didn't worry too much about it. But as I matured on in my career, you know, the first stage of when you go into management, you're just learning and listening. But I think I would have maybe fast tracked that a little bit with the understanding that, look, everybody's just trying to figure this out together. Your voice is important. Your opinion is important. Ask more questions. Get involved more. So I think that's probably the biggest piece of advice I give myself. Maybe actually as a woman in tech, (laughs) uh, I would tell myself to uh, know my value. One of the things I I noticed in the course of my career is maybe how male engineers engage in in their salary negotiations or their performance uh, reviews as opposed to female engineers typically. And I would definitely recommend uh, just not being ashamed of my value. Often I would see, you know, a male engineer will lead that discussion and will say, look, here's my value. Here's what I did throughout the course of the year. And also this is where I want to be and this is what I want to get. Whereas a female engineer will, will engage in that discussion completely differently and will talk about the great work that was done and will highlight the great work and then will hope that, you know, you attribute that to her or you will see her footprint in that, but typically won't uh, assert what they want or what their value is. So I would say to myself, <laughs> know your value and don't be ashamed of it. Speak it. It's okay. Maybe another piece of advice. Yeah, I, I think... Being very explicit in life about what you want, it's an important skill to cultivate. And the point about kind of that difference when it comes to negotiation between 
uh, male and female engineers. Do you think there's something to be said around providing some coaching around negotiation skills for female engineers so that they don't maybe walk away with less than they should? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's rarely a malicious thing that somebody would get paid less. I, I don't think it's a, you know, often engineering managers, they have a budget, they have to stick within that, it has to be shared as equally as possible. So somebody that's a little bit more pushy and a little bit more aggressive will come out probably with a little bit more just because. So I, I do think, you know, coaching would be great. It goes back to that for every skill set, it's yin and yang, there's a strength and a weakness to it. And that skill set of forming relationships and team bonding. The downside to that is you're not highlighting your own individual skill set and what you're bringing to the table. So I, I think, yeah, definitely some coaching around that would be really good. Did you seek out any mentors during your career or like did any kind of mentor-mentee relationship kind of naturally evolve for you? Yeah, I didn't actually seek it out, but I did, I did actually form some um, pretty great bonds along the way, which really helped. One was actually with a HR, a HR lady in one of the companies that I worked with. And um, I just found her really encouraging. And when I moved into the leadership role, she started to talk to me a lot about psychology and what was happening in the dynamics of the people around me and in the teams around me. And I just found that absolutely fascinating. And that opened up a whole other world of, of understanding. Obviously, <laughs> I was completely in my left brain and in my logical world. So when she started to talk about those things that really gave me a huge appetite for leadership and for management and so that was that's definitely one that stuck with me but you know there's always I mean we're so lucky today there's so much content and there's so many conferences and there's so much podcasts and you know help and support available that you can pick up a mentor anywhere you look which is fantastic are there any podcasts books journals or other resources that you use to learn uh, that you could recommend to our listeners Oh gosh, so many. <laughs> I actually, I had a look on my shelf at what books I was taken back to when I started. I completely nerded out on systems thinking and I, I read all of the books and one of the top ones that I would recommend is The Goal. And then also Thinking in Systems, Daniela Meadows. They were two books that I just consumed and loved because obviously the role of managing engineering, you're managing a system and you're starting to learn, you know, how work flows from one end of the pipe to the other, what the bottlenecks are. Um, and actually, a consultant said to me one time, uh, I think it was to do with performance management, and it was like, don't look at the individual as the problem, but understand what is the system that you put in place that's caused this problem. And so that completely blew my mind and sent me down a world of systems thinking. Other than that, I love, obviously, organization, team topologies. And then in podcasts, you know, I guess, gosh, there's so many. Most are probably not suitable for this podcast. Some of the ones that I am looking at, though, is a bike shed, um, Hidden Brain. I love Hidden Brain. Um, Masters of Scale, also a good one. Um, Business Wars, Rework, Diary of a CEO. Uh, there's, there's so many uh, really great podcasts. And I love, you know, going to, to conferences. They're just so excellent for learning. Um, QCon in London is brilliant. I went to that every year. It's just great to be with your community and your people and just finding out what's new. It's just so exciting. Going back to what we talked about, servant leadership, I really love the book Turn the Ship Around by Captain David Marquette, the U.S. Navy captain. And it's a story about how he turned around the worst performing submarine in the U.S. Navy. And they were using that traditional kind of top-down management structure that was kind of the norm in the U.S. Navy at the time. And he actually transformed that to be the number one performing in the Navy through servant leadership. And so, yeah, we could go on. <laughs> There's so many things. We're so lucky with that. 
Yeah, that's a great list, by the way. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for your time today. It's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So production by Adnan Tuchair with support from Albina Krasteva and Evan Sheehan and music by Robert Cooney. We'll catch you next time on the Story of Software podcast.